Hello and welcome to the sixth and final episode of As Yet Unexplained. 50 Berkeley Square has been the home of some prominent people and some creepy, unearthly goings-on. But are the incidents genuine phenomena or the product of over-enthusiastic journalists? If you like what you hear, please consider liking, subscribing or even writing a review on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. The mysterious establishment of 50 Berkeley Square was constructed in 1740 by the architect William Kent, who designed the beautiful four-storey house in the middle of London's Mayfair district. In the late 19th century, the home had been saddled with another name, and that was 50 Berkeley Square, the most haunted house in London. Before the tales of supernatural horrors were divulged, the home had a very illustrious series of occupants, some of which were even witnesses to the strange activities. The early history of the home has been lost to the myths of time, but the square itself had been home for British Prime Minister Winston Churchill and Robert Clive, who had secured India for the British Empire. Before this, in the 1800s, 50 Berkeley Square was home for the British Prime Minister George Canning. Canning had lived in the building after his time as the PM until his death in 1827. When Canning was living in the house, it was said that he reported strange noises coming from the uppermost floors, but as it did not really bother him, he paid it no mind. After this period, the home is then occupied by a Miss Curzon, who had taken up the lease, and again lived there until her demise in 1859, aged 90. The building has subsequently had many tenants. Some were paying and others were merely seeking shelter from the harsh London streets. Due to the sketchy history of the house and the fact that some tales have subsequently passed into the dubious realms of folklore, it can be slightly daunting when trying to place some of the events into a concise timeline. One of the earliest supernatural sightings is that of a young woman who has been seen hanging by her fingertips from the uppermost floor windowsill. Witnesses have stated that the apparition appears to be screaming and then finally lets go, plummeting down to street level, but fading away before she hits the ground. A newspaper gave the apparition a name and a motive for ending her short life. They stated that the girl's name was Adeline and that she was frantically trying to get away from her cruel, abusive uncle. The spirit had been reported as early as 1789 and a further newspaper article reported that since then, more than 50 respectable people have reported seeing Adeline clinging to the windowsill, about to drop to her doom. As with many haunted homes throughout time, there are many minor, smaller stories that have no real home in the sequence of events. One of these is the story of the young man that was locked in the attic room the same room said to be occupied by the spirit of Adeline. 
the residents would feed him via a special slot in the bottom of the door. This isolation led the young man to madness. One of the more mysterious and heartbreaking tales is that of a ghostly little girl. It has been handed down through the mists of time that the attic room was also haunted by the spirit of a small child that had been lured there and murdered by a sadistic servant of the house. We now move into more verifiable accounts, if not the actual account, then at least the people involved. In 1840, a small group of students at the local tavern in Holborn were discussing Barclay Square and the ghostly tales that surrounded it. One of the students, a 20-year-old Robert Warboys, did not believe a word about the hauntings and considered it all to be local gossip. The other members of his group decided that seeing that he was so fearless, then he should stay a night alone in the very upstairs room of the house where the sightings and incidences had occurred and see if he saw anything himself. The landlord of the property was hesitant to relinquish the room to the student, but gave it to war boys on two provisos. One, the boy needed to be armed, preferably with a pistol for his own protection. And two, at the first sign of anything unusual, the landlord should be summoned immediately through a cord that hung in the room and linked to a bell in the landlord's room within the building. The headstrong war boys agreed and went upstairs to sleep in the infamous bedroom. It was just after midnight when the landlord said goodnight to Robert and went downstairs to his own bedroom. No less than 25 minutes later, The bell in the landlord's room was frantically ringing and the landlord raced upstairs to see what was wrong with Robert. The landlord locked eyes with Robert who was backed into the corner of the room. The pistol outstretched in front of him was still smoking. The once fearless young man was wearing an expression of pure terror. A single bullet which had been fired from the gun was now embedded in the wall. Warboys never explained what had occurred and promptly left the property. It appears that the house was purchased by Viscount Bearstead, who subsequently rented out the house in 1859 to a gentleman by the name of Mr. Myers. Mr. Myers was to be married and had the house furnished in the expectation of a family soon to follow. Unfortunately, just before the wedding, his wife-to-be had cold feet and left him at the altar. Mr. Myers decided to move into the house by himself, and it is said that he never planned on coming back out. Neighbours would witness him up at night, walking around the house lit by candlelight. Imaginative speculators have stated that he could have been using satanic worship to try and get his wife back, who had already married somebody else. It is hypothesised that these dark practices also awoke even more spirits within the house. Mr Myers had become a recluse 
and the only time he ever opened the door to anyone was to get food from his servant. Lady Dorothy Neville stated in her 1906 autobiography that Mr Myers was a relative of hers. She went as far as to say that after he was abandoned by his fiancée, his behaviour bordered upon lunacy, and he would reside in the house all day, becoming most active at night. The old house would occasionally appear to be lit up at the dead of night, stated Lady Neville, and she further considered that Myers's nocturnal activities had been misinterpreted by others as evidence of a ghost. It appears that Mr Myers stayed inside and slowly went mad until his death at the age of 76 in November 1874. During his residence in the house, it appears that it fell into gross disrepair and its reputation as a haunted house began to develop. It appears that in 1872 the subsequent event took place at the house, but it is of note that Mr Myers was not there. As so little is known about Myers, it could simply be that his death date is wrong, or that he was rehoused before his death. It has been alleged that in 1872, aristocrat and politician Lord George Littleton, who did not believe the haunting tales regarding the property, which had already started to brew amongst the public, decided to spend the night in the attic room. It has been said that he took on this challenge as a bet to disprove the stories. Although Littleton was an unbeliever, he decided to bring his shotgun with him for protection. What he later described was very chilling. Littleton stated that whilst he was in the room, a ghostly apparition appeared in front of him. It was brown in colour and tendrilled. It was surrounded by mist. Littleton grabbed his shotgun and took aim at the strange thing. After the weapon had discharged, he found that there was nothing to be seen. Littleton would be quoted as saying that 50 Barclay Square was supernaturally fatal to body and mind. In 1873, taxes were now due on the property, but Mr Myers, who was now supposed to be the owner, had vanished. It is claimed that they were not prosecuted because of the house's reputation for being haunted. There was no one to claim the house, so it sat empty, with only neighbours occasionally complaining because of the sounds of screaming and window shutters slamming, emanating from the vacant property. In 1879, Mayfair magazine published an article about the fabled Barclay Square property, where it stated that the home was in a state of great decay, with windows caked and blackened by dust, full of silence and emptiness, and yet with no notice about it anywhere that it may be had for renting. This is known as the Haunted House in Berkeley Square. The article would go on to recount several ghost stories, and it is believed that this very article is responsible for writing the story in stone and possibly changing the myth into believed fact. In 1879, a family finally moved in. 
there was a father and his two teenage daughters. The daughters immediately noticed that the place had a musty smell that was rather like that of the animals' cages at the zoo. With the family was their maid, who was tasked with the job of cleaning and preparing the rooms. Later, the elder of the two children's, his fiancé, a Captain Kenfield, was due to visit the house and the maidservant was asked to prepare his room. Soon after the maidservant ascended into the attic, the whole house heard screaming erupting from upstairs and the assembled family ran upstairs to see what was wrong. The desperate screams were coming from the maid and the family saw her on the floor, backed into the corner and whispering, Don't let it touch me. The actual details of what the maid saw were never stated, because after her brush with the strange, she was taken to the hospital, where she died the next day. Some say in an asylum. In the wake of the incident, Captain Kenfield announced that he would spend the night in the room. Regardless of what happened, he still planned to spend the night in that very room. Whether he was trying to impress the family he was being married into, or he possibly wanted to avenge the death of the servant girl, we will never know. Kentfield headed upstairs armed with a candle and a gun. The whole household waited with bated breath, listening intently as they heard him close the attic door. Around 30 minutes later, again the family were alerted to blood-curdling screams that came from the room. Followed by a gunshot. Again the household rushed upstairs to help. but found Kentfield dead on the floor, his face twisted in terror. The death of Captain Kentfield is the first death officially reported in the house. The cause of death was from fright. Another story that has been reported is that of an alleged nobleman that spent the night in the attic room. The gentleman is said to have been permanently paralysed with fear and that he could not speak. It was Christmas Eve, 1887, when two sailors by the name of Edward Blunden and Robert Martin made their way from Portsmouth to London and were now seeking lodgings as they had been out drinking all night. As the cold started to eat away at the two men, they found themselves on Berkeley Square and noticed that number 50 had a to-let sign in the window. It was obvious to the two men that the building was vacant and decided that this abandoned building would be their digs for the night. The two men decided to bed down in the basement, but found its dampness and rats too uncomfortable for them, and instead ventured up to the notorious second floor bedroom. Blunden was frightened by something that he could not quite put his finger on, and described to Martin that he felt a presence, and was decidedly uneasy within the house. Martin felt fine, 
and dismissed these feelings that Edward was expressing to him. The two of them lit a fire in the room and opened a window to ease ventilation. With the warmth from the fire and the gentle Christmas breeze blowing in, the pair of them soon fell fast asleep. It was Christmas Day, shortly after midnight, when Edward Blunden was rudely awakened by the sound of the floor creaking and faint footsteps in the corridor outside the room they were sleeping in. Blunden was gripped in fear as he witnessed a slither of dim greyish light that seemed to creep across the wooden floor of the room. As Edward's eyes adjusted to the gloom, he saw something slowly crawling towards them. The something was dark and shapeless, and Edward reached for a fire poker to protect himself. Robert woke up with a start to the sounds of Edward's screams, and he witnessed Edward being strangled by a massive tendril that seemed to emanate from whatever this shapeless mass was. Robert witnessed the strange, moist, scraping sounds that seemed to slowly approach them. Martin is quoted as saying that it sounded as if something was dragging itself across the floor. It appeared that adrenaline had kicked in for Martin, and the fight-or-flight response was in full swing. Naturally fearing for his own safety, Martin fled from the bedroom door and exited the building. where his search for the police soon led him into a police constable, whereupon he relayed the story and they both rushed back to 50 Barclay Square. Martin understood the bizarreness of his tale and hoped to get Edward to corroborate it to make him seem less insane. What they discovered when they arrived was Blunden, dead on the pavement. Closer investigation revealed that he had either jumped or been thrown out of the second floor window. His body had been crushed by the impact of him hitting the floor, covered in the shattered remains of the glass from the window. As with many of these reports, there are multiple endings to this tale that have been reported throughout the years. One states the sailor was spooked and tripped and fell from the window whilst trying to escape. Another report claims that the body was impaled on the wrought iron fencing that adorns the front of the building, and another report states that the police and Martin could not find Blunden to begin with, and eventually discovered his body in the basement. His dismembered corpse lay in a heap, with his head turned to the side. It is said that during the inquiries, Martin said that he saw a ghost within the property that looked like a man and went further to describe the apparition to officers. Police allegedly realised that the figure described matched the description of what the ex-resident Mr Myers looked like. It appeared that things would lay dormant for the haunted house and occasionally articles would appear regarding the events and would keep the story alive. 
Then in 1930, the Maggs brothers purchased the house, despite knowing the history of the home. The new owners had decided to turn the property into an antique bookshop and were officially in residence by 1937. And ever since then, no phenomena has been reported. The entire upstairs of the building is completely blocked off to the owners and staff. Staff members have stated that the police had placed a sign, a warning, saying that the uppermost rooms are not to be used for anything, not even storage. Staff say they have heard strange noises up there, but none will dare go up there and break the police seal. One of the main problems with this case is that so much time has passed and there is little actual real evidence and reporting still in existence. Peter Underwood decided to include the events within his 1975 book, Haunted London, which seemed to spark a renewed interest in the events. Some of the tales that are cited in the various publications were incredibly old before they were recounted and written down. It has even been speculated that the claim that the sailors entered the house in 1870s was in fact invented by Elliot O'Donnell, and there is really no actual evidence to confirm any part of the story. Over the many decades that have passed, there has been scant few contemporary tales of hauntings at the establishment. Although in 2001, a cleaner was working in the upper room, had the feeling that someone was watching her. Allegedly at the same time, another employee witnessed the familiar strange brown mist suddenly appear in the upper room. The stories and mysteries that have since been passed into folklore vary greatly from publication to publication and are therefore unreliable at best. I like to believe that the mystery of 50 Barclay Square started out as a genuine case of haunting, but hearsay and speculation have since created a backstory to give the unknown a reason and a motive. The description of the tentacled apparition and the strange brown mist seem to evoke images of Lovecraftian horrors that certainly do not fit in with the stereotypical ghost story, except maybe the story of Charterhouse. Links to our Facebook page and email address are in our bio and the show notes, so feel free to get in touch, tell us how we are doing, and even suggest future episodes that we can cover. Production is underway for a second series of As Yet Unexplained, and we would like to thank everyone who listened and supported us over the last six weeks. Thanks for listening, and we hope to be back soon.
My name is Richard Daniels. 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 And I am the archivist for the Occultaria of Albion. The Occultaria of Albion is a publication dedicated to exploring some of the strangest and most bizarre locations across the country, where hauntings, curses, cryptids and more have all been reported. I am now custodian of its archive and am gradually exploring many of the lost files in order to re-release them. You can find the case files which are now available at occultariaofalbion.com The Occultaria of Albion can also be found on YouTube and as a podcast. Go deeper and join the fan club for exclusive content. Go to patreon.com forward slash occultaria. Remain vigilant and remember the wolves of weird are loose.